this is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Donald Trump's world continues to shrink as Special Prosecutor Jack Smith and the Department of Justice squeeze him from every angle in their investigation into the former president's handling of classified documents, as well as his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. All signs point to a coming indictment, and the charges might just stick this time. So once again, for the second time in less than six months, the world is on Trump indictment watch. This time, the likely charges will be for violating the Espionage Act and obstruction of justice. Now, according to the independent newspaper, prosecutors are ready to ask grand jurors to approve the indictment against Trump for violating a portion of the U.S. criminal code known as Section 793 which prohibits gathering, transmitting, or losing any information respecting the national defense. The paper further adds that the use of Section 793 is a strategic decision by prosecutors to do an end round around Trump's bullshit excuse that he had the authority as president to declassify documents that he took from the White House and smuggled to Mar-a-Lardo after his presidential term expired. So it means that Trump is screwed. Even he was allowed to keep his papers because it states emphatically that anyone who has documents pertaining to national defense cannot knowingly communicate or transmit that information. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, but the gist is that they're going to use the audio around Trump fucking bragging about being in possession of a plan to attack Iran to say that he knowingly had classified documents and purposefully disseminated them to try and discredit General Milley. I mean, it's the smoking gun at the heart of the case, and it could lead to up to 10 years in prison. I mean, 10 years. That's right, folks. 10 fucking years in prison. The other bombshell news around the trial is that former chief sycophant, I mean White House chief of staff Mark Meadows, has flipped on Donald. Meadows factors into both the special counsel Jack Smith's probes, the first one of course being the investigation into Trump's efforts to overturn his election loss that culminated in the deadly January 6th Capitol riot and the probe into his mishandling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lardo. Now, it's unclear whether Meadows testified or that he was asked some about one or both of the cases, and that's, of course, according to the report. The news comes after Trump's inner circle spent months puzzled by the weary about the low profile Meadows has kept in the investigations amid reports of numerous witnesses who have been interviewed by prosecutors. Meadows has kept largely out of sight, and some of Mr. Trump's advisors believe that he could be a significant witness in the inquiries, the Times reported. Now, Trump himself has asked aides about what Meadows is doing, also according to the report. And Meadows has said that he had answered questions relating to both criminal investigations into the former president while appearing in front of the grand jury. And that's again according to ABC News. And Meadows has long been considered a key figure in the criminal investigation into the events leading up to the Capitol riot. Because? Because of his proximity to the former president while all this shit was happening. 
Now Meadows has gained additional significance as part of the classified documents probe after reports emerged that there is an audio of Trump admitting, this fucking idiot admitting in July of 2021 that he had retained a secret Pentagon paper and that the former president no longer had the authority to declassify it. That's whether he declassified it by thinking about it or simply because he took it. Now, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General Harry Littman said that if the reports that Meadows has now testified as part of Smith's federal investigations are accurate, well, then Trump is screwed. And I quote, Trump has been on the receiving end of a remarkable string of bad blows from the legal system for the last couple months when he was indicted in New York. But the revelation that Meadows has testified against him is by far the worst in the string, Littman then tweeted out. And Meadows testifying opens the door for Trump to face real consequences for his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. I mean, Meadows was literally Trump's fucking gatekeeper. He was his apologist and his garbage man, allegedly burning documents according to former aide Cassidy Hutchinson. On Wednesday, with typical delusional bluster, Trump posted on social media, and I quote, No one has told me I'm being indicted, and I shouldn't be, because I've done nothing, of course in all caps, I have done nothing wrong. But I have assumed for years that I am a target of the weaponized DOJ and FBI. This was followed by a larger rant after former aide Taylor Budowich testified before the grand jury as well. As he has done in the past, Trump accused investigators of trying to sabotage his chances at winning the 2024 presidential election. Wow, this is turning out to be the greatest and most vicious instance of election interference in the history of our country, Donald wrote. Remember, I'm leading to sanctimonious big in the polls, but more importantly, I'm leading Biden by a lot. Also, and perhaps most importantly, they are launching all of the many fake investigations against me right smack in the middle of my campaign, of course all caps again, something which is unheard of and not supposed to happen. DOJ, FBI, New York AG, New York DA, Atlanta DA, fascists, all, exclamation mark. I mean, at least the guy knows who's coming after him, so maybe he's not as stupid as we think. And that's where we'll leave it today, folks. Let the indictments begin. All I want is just one fucking perp walk and a mugshot. But that may be asking too much. Welcome to the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. In the 1980s, They were the largest financial markets in the world. This guy made two million, this guy made three million, this guy made four million. It was like an ATM machine for uh, traders. Traders were making money hand over fist, and they thought it was their own little secret. Four FBI men wearing wires infiltrated the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. This lavish and daring undercover operation was the most expensive in the Bureau's history. But was it successful? It all depends who you ask. The FBI used extraordinary means to detect extraordinary fraud. They were down there to expose a big cheating scandal, did they? I don't think they did. 
From Entropy Media, this is Brokers, Bagmen, and Moles. Available now wherever you listen. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is Tristan Snell, the former New York Assistant Attorney General, famously led the civil prosecution in the Trump University case for the state of New York against the Trump Organization. The 2013 case found the Trump Organization guilty, forcing them to pay out $25 million in restitution. Snell spent years scaling the walls of the Trump Organization, largely creating the playbook for defeating Donald Trump in court. Ultimately, he said, it's about the receipts, not the witnesses, something that I've been saying now for years as well. And to beat Trump, you need indisputable proof, a smoking gun, and that only comes from having the documents to prove it. Or, in certain cases, the recordings. Nowadays, Snell is the founder of Main Street Law and appears as the commentator on CNN and serves as a contributing writer for the Washington Post. His work as a lawyer and founder had been featured in a wide array of media outlets, from The New Yorker to The Atlantic to Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. He joins me today on Mea Culpa as the nation goes on indictment watch again for the mango Mussolini. I mean, Snell believes that the government has the goods this time and that Trump may actually go to prison for all of the things that we know that he's done. Interested in this conversation? I know you will be. So let's go now to my conversation with Tristan Snell. Okay, so Tristan, let's start today by discussing how you can tell that a Donald Trump indictment is near. On Twitter, you wrote, Trump tantrums, Jack Smith suddenly surfacing, final meeting with Trump lawyers, new saying investigation is done. If you would, Discuss with me when you think that we'll get an indictment and what will the charges likely be? Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't know for sure. Obviously, these things can take time. You know, we were we probably were waiting an extra week or two at the end before the indictment uh, in Manhattan uh, on the hush money case uh, where we were very, very close, but it still took another two weeks. So we, it, it could be another couple of weeks. But we're very clearly in the end game here. Uh, the charges look like they would involve uh, – it will probably be a very, very long indictment going through a whole bunch of different uh, uh, statutes that have been violated here. The headliner is going to be the Espionage Act. That's going to be the big one. There's a whole bunch of other statutes that got violated here in terms of the Presidential Records Act and a lot of other record-keeping statutes. The biggest one, though, is going to be the Espionage Act because there were military and defense-related documents uh, that were – it doesn't have to be – we think of espionage like it's spying. Oh, he was giving them to somebody. That may be true. We know they've been looking into that. But even if they haven't found proof of that yet or at all, maybe he never actually pulled the trigger and then tried to sell or trade or transmit this information to some foreign power – or agent for one, uh, even if under the Espionage Act it covers holding on to these documents uh, when you're not supposed to have them and not returning them when you've been asked to give them back. So those things clearly appear to have been done. And then the question is, was there intent? And the most recent news of the recording there of an audio recording where he was talking about this 
uh, plan to invade Iran that he had asked to be prepared and that he was telling people he had uh, after he left the White House. I think they've got him right there. And then we've got the videotapes, which we can talk about in a minute. Uh, but I think that that's going to be the headliner or it's going to be the Espionage Act. OK, so what you're really describing when they asked him for the documents back and he lied and refused to return them, that's yep. really more of an obstruction of justice case. Right. That'll so be the, I don't know if that falls. Thing. Yeah. That'll right. be the second now, thing. Now, I also want to remind you that on June 5th, on Monday, June 5th, three members of Trump's legal team met with Jack Smith and other officials at the DOJ, which, of course, prompted yes. Captain, you know, Chaos, the, you know, or I like to call him the all caps kid to go nuts on his truth social <laughs> platform, you know, yeah. in all caps, right? How can DOJ possibly charge me? who did nothing wrong, so I like his judge, jury, and executioner, when no other presidents were charged. He knows something's up. Yeah. Oh, no. He did that, that right, you, just like you said, he did that hours after his attorneys finally got this meeting that they had been seeking. For all the world, that looks like a pre-indictment meeting uh, where they're in t they're telling the counsel for the target that the target is in fact going uh, to the, the target is in fact going to uh, be someone that the feds seek indictment for. Uh, you know they could have already voted it and it's sealed. By the way, he might have already been indicted, uh, or it could be that they're on the cusp of actually having the grand jury or asking the grand jury to indict. Uh, but yeah, that all caps rant, and then there's been a couple of more since then. Those are very clear signs that uh, that he he sees the writing on the wall. Yeah, well, the part that I'm still unclear about, even myself, is there were some court proceedings in Florida yes. that somehow relate, you know, to the work of a separate grand jury yep. taking place in Washington, where as you know, that they've been presenting all sorts of evidence and witness testimony. And this is going on now for many, many months since Jack Smith was brought on. I just don't understand what the Florida grand jury is meeting about. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that's come out. I'm planning on uh, commenting on that a little bit further myself today, but I'll just say right now, uh, it is... The, the 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 theory that I have heard that I tend to agree with the most is that this is to do with other individuals uh, other than Trump and their criminality with regard to these documents, uh, where the key is that if they're going to be if they're going to be charging Trump, his violations of these acts actually began while he was leaving the White House. So that's why, from a venue perspective, uh, it is proper for him to get charged in Washington, D.C. Uh, as for some of these other uh, members of his staff, uh, to the extent that they might get charged for, say, obstruction of justice, their role in the criminal scheme only began in, at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, in the Southern District of Florida. So that might be why we now have a grand jury sitting there. That grand jury, if we follow this theory, that would mean that that grand jury in Miami 
is not there to indict Trump. It's there to indict other associates of Trump. Mm, that would make sense. Yeah. But a thing that another um, conversation that you can't turn on a television right now without hearing all of these TV, you know, hosts talking about how Jack Smith's investigation, right, of the former idiot in chief, um, his handling of the classified documents have reconvened this week after months of, yeah. I, I shouldn't say, you know, after, let's just say a month or so um, of slowing down where yep. we're not getting the daily barrage of, hey, what's going on in Jack Smith's world, right? right. And this, the fact that, it has reconvened and they're even showing, I mean, this is just how crazy this news cycle has gotten. They spend 15 minutes and bring in people to talk about, well, Jack Smith was walking out of the DOJ yesterday and he's walking with another guy and everybody's all kind of, holy shit, the guy's walking out of the fucking DOJ. You know, I mean, this has now sparked all forms of speculation that Trump is going to be indicted. I'm yeah. trying to figure out, look, do I think that Trump should have been indicted? Fuck yeah. Do I think that this should have been, the indictment should have come down already? How about double fuck yeah? All right, <laughs> this to me is such bullshit. We already have, there's more than enough information. Let me be very clear about this, Tristan. If this was you who took the document, your ass would have been locked up and you would have already oh, yeah. been already shipped done. off to God knows where, all right? If it was me, it would have been in one-tenth the time that it took them to get you. Me, I wouldn't have even gotten 24 hours. You, maybe it would have been a week. But I assure you, like what they did to Reality Winner, and that was with one document, here yeah. it's 184. If it was any of my listeners, if it was you, me, or anyone else other than Trump, and possibly members of Congress, your yeah. ass would have been locked up already. Oh, yeah. But not him. Not him. And that's the part that bothers me. There is more than enough documentary and testimony, documentary evidence and testimony to have warranted Jack Smith telling Merrick Garland that this case is deservant of an indictment. Forgetting about the fact that now we have another piece of evidence called a tape of Donald's voice on it. You put all of this stuff together. The fact yeah. that an indictment didn't already come down to me is angering. It is angering. I do think that, put it this way, I think that at this point, the reason why we haven't seen it yet, you're right, it is because it's Trump. I do think, though, that we've tipped over from it's Trump and they're afraid of him. I don't think that's what's going on now. All of the signs point to, yes, it's taking longer because it's Trump, but it's taking longer because they are trying to get to a point of like 99.999% sure that they're ready to go. I think that they're being excessively but rightly, excessively cautious. Uh, you know, we did this even with something that was way lower stakes when we were doing the Trump University case. We probably took an extra three months, two, three months uh, in the summer of 2013 
to what were we doing? We, we already were ready. Everything was ready to go. We spent an extra two to three months just editing the darn, uh, you know, filing papers, you know, probably another 10, 15 times. And it was because the thought was, you know, it's kind of a, if you come at the king, you best not miss situation. Like, you better have it right. The, the words that we heard at the AG's office were, it has to be perfect. And this is way higher stakes. It's criminal. Everybody's eyes are on it. He's been president. It's a much, much, much higher standard now that they're trying to meet. They don't want to just indict him. They want to be able to have it be an ironclad slam dunk conviction. And so that's why I think they're still doing all this. You know, up until recently, they were still having uh, witnesses come to that grand jury in D.C. It was a little bit buried in a article late yesterday, but they had tw- more than 20 members of Trump's Secret Service detail have now been brought before that grand jury in Washington. You know, you could easily say, wouldn't three or four or five been enough? They're clearly, they're going for, they're getting everything. They're getting every last little piece of evidence. Is you it don't overkill? need everything is the point I, that I, I have been shouting I from the rooftops for uh, for as long as I could remember, right? Since I, I almost started this podcast, you don't need to charge the guy with everything. As far as I'm concerned, you know, look, if Donald Trump gets charged pursuant to Jack Smith's indictment, whether yeah. it's for this, January 6th, I think is going to be a much tougher case. This will now be the first time in U.S. history that a former president has been charged with a federal crime and indicted for a federal crime. So people are, of course, saying, whoa, 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 what about your case with Alvin Bragg? I want to remind people that that is a state crime. That Right, the hush money case in New York under the um, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office is a state crime. This will be a federal crime. And that's actually extremely important because, you know, Washington, there's always a lot of shenanigans. The bullshit just knows no bounds. Is it possible that, and I've heard this shit come out of so many people's mouths. I want you to think about this for a second. Donald won't run, but the only way that he won't run is if Joe uh, Biden or whoever the Republican may be, if assuming that the Republican wins, that Donald gets a pardon. The same way that that Ford did it for Nixon. First of all, I don't think that there's a shot in hell that Joe Biden is going to pardon Donald Trump. I just don't think so. Neither do I think if Ron DeSantis won, do I think that he would pardon. Though, I think at least I would give that a 50-50. The interesting thing here is because it is a state crime, and I'm talking about the New York District Attorney, a federal pardon has no effect upon nope. it. He would then, the only way to get your state crime pardoned is it has to come from the governor. And that's yep. another person that I do not believe that would end up pardoning Trump. But yep. let me just ask you this question as a follow-up, right? Because again, it's um, violations of the Records Act, right? The Presidential Records Act. Uh, as I said, obstruction of justice, as you stated, the Espionage Act. So assuming that they do indict him on any one or all of these violations, what kind of prison time do you think that Donald would be facing? I think it's measured in decades. 
I'll call it. I think it's measured in decades. I don't think it's measured in years. I think it's measured in decades. I see a double digit number of years. Uh, I, I, I actually think that there's enough charges here that on the on the you know on the merits. You, you brought up reality winner. What her sentence was five years. Longer? Five years. I think five, five years. years. One document. So we're talking you know, uh, 180 something, and it might be more, we actually don't know, because then there were a lot of those uh, sleeves that were found, uh, the folders were found empty, where it was a classified folder, but then there was nothing inside. Uh, we also, and then there's other, you know, people have been speculating about those things that they took the photo of. It actually looks like a number of those are actually photocopies of the record. So where did the originals go? There's a lot of other stuff we don't know. Now, I think that just on what we know so far, I think that we would be measuring that prison sentence in with it's enough violations. I think that if you tally it all up, uh, I think that we're talking about 20, 30, 40, 50 years and something like that. Uh, I will throw in here uh, a number of people have been pointing out that we have to be prepared for this. It's highly likely that he wouldn't actually go to prison, that it would be house arrest because of the concerns with Secret Service, that it would be impossible to secure his safety within a federal facility. Uh, although my feeling is figure it out, like clear out a whole wing of a facility if you have to. Given well, first his of all, you, remember, you may remember they did to. that with Nor. You may remember, Tristan, they did that with Noriega. Right down right. in Florida, right where they had right. Noriega, they gave him his own cadre. He had his own specific area. But I'm yeah. a firm believer in what you're saying. First of all, I don't believe that he will ever see the inside of a prison. Home confinement and a serious, serious home confinement, but yeah. not because not because of secret service and protection of him and so on. I don't believe that that's the reason. I believe that it would be stupid of us, really, and I say this, I think it would be stupid of the American people to want to see Donald Trump behind bars in a federal institution because, let's not forget, for four years, on a daily basis, he received top-secret briefings. Do you really think for a second that Donald wouldn't trade any one of those secrets for a bag of tuna or for a book of stamps? He would, no, no matter how dangerous they are to our national security, he would sell anything in order to benefit yeah. himself. So for the, for the safety and the protection of the United States of America— I would forego wanting to see that fat-ass clown behind bars in an orange jumpsuit. I really would. Fuck yeah. him. Let him stay by himself in a house, you know, across the street from Marilardo. I mean, he's got a couple of houses over there, two or three. Yeah. In fact, lock it up, take away the internet, leave him with a television set, no housekeeping, you know, make him do his own shit, his own chores. I mean, you know, provide him with food the whole bit. People yeah. can't come and go. He can't pick his ass up and go play golf, you know, um, ever, right? right? People, you know, right. 
he would have to pay for his own secret service in order to be in front or for somebody, a correctional officer, in order to ensure he's up at 6.30, 7 in the morning. He has, they have to do a, a counting for him every day where he's standing by his bed, right? You know, it has to be made yeah. the whole bit. Fuck him, you know? I mean, you know, he's going to have to wear the same orange or green jumpsuits that everybody else wears. That's what should really happen. But my concern, again, goes for the national security and the protection of the United States of America. And I don't believe that Donald Trump can be trusted not to disseminate the information that he learned over yeah. the four years. I think that's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, put it this way. He definitely can't be in general population. At a, at a at a facility, there's just no way because the the, the yeah the uh, the likelihood of mischief is just way too high. So you, there's going to have to be some special arrangement done because you're absolutely right. There, there's uh, it's look they're going to cite it like it's a security concern for him. That's going to be the public positioning. But I think that there I think part of it is the fact that look he does have this information even if he doesn't have the documents anymore. There's stuff that he just knows that he could trade away. Yeah, I think it's a significant concern. So let me ask you, speaking of obstruction of justice, because that's that's really the charge that I think is the easiest for oh, them to, the to prove. There's no doubt about yeah, that. It's the easiest. Yeah. So one of the likely charges against Trump will be that he altered security camera footage at Mar-a-Lardo, right? Yes. If you would discuss with my listeners what you believe is on that footage, and then what he altered. Because this is not something that gets enough attention. Nope. It has not gotten nearly enough attention. This is basically, you know, uh, older listeners are going to know about this because they remember Watergate. But obviously there's a lot of folks, uh, myself included, who were born after Watergate. I'm a history buff, so I know about all this stuff. But, you know, that just to bring it up. I mean, the, the, what really brought Nixon down was that he was probably going to get charged with obstruction of justice uh, because he had taken audio tapes that he had recorded from the Oval Office in which he was discussing covering up uh, the break in. Uh, and he act, and, and he slash his people removed 18 minutes uh, from that audio tape to cover to basically delete the record of the meeting in which he was discussing it with his associates in the Oval Office. Uh, here, what we know so far, we're going to know a lot more soon, is that it sounds like that some length of videotape was removed from security cam footage. Uh, and we're saying tape because that's still what we call these things, even though, of course, it's it almost certainly not tape. Oh, yeah, it's all digitalized. But it's all digital. But some portion of those of those video files was removed before it was handed over to DOJ pursuant to subpoena. Uh, how does DOJ know this? Because they went and subpoenaed the security cam vendor that also had a copy of these video files and the, and the files were different. That's what we appear to know based on kind of reading in between the lines of these news reports that have come out. This sounds like what, what we're about to find out there. If this is true, that is a open and shut obstruction of justice case. Uh, which I is guess exactly, by the way, Tristan, up, which is... Which is also, by the way, why they brought in both Matt Calamari and Matt Calamari right. Jr. The, because you they know, were who probably are, involved. And they're they in control involved. and they run the security. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So and then the question is going to be, did one of them flip on? And really, I think the question is, let, let's just break it apart. We're, we're going really deep here. It is possible that they won't charge Trump with that if they weren't able to pin it on him, that he that they're going to not have enough evidence that he ordered them somebody to do. He wasn't sitting there with Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere or iMovie editing the footage. Okay, somebody else did that, obviously. That wasn't him. The man doesn't really even know how to use a computer. Uh, however, he doesn't have a computer. He doesn't have one. So it wasn't him. And he wasn't doing it on his phone either. Like, he wasn't the one editing the video footage. He ordered somebody else to do that, in theory. So do they? was somebody pointing the finger at him and saying, yeah, he told us to? Um, and I think that's the really big question. They got they they have they have had so many other people on his staff, including the Calamaris, come in and testify before that grand jury. I think the question is, out of all of those people, did somebody say, "Yeah, it came from him. It came from the top. Don, uh, Mr. Trump told us to do this." Um, and I think if they've got that, then they then they've got him. So yeah. to to be clear, some ob- obstruction of justice very very much appears to have occurred. The question is. Who gets charged with it? And there's still a possibility that it won't be Trump. But I think that and then the question is, like, who flipped? I think I think there's a good chance that somebody in here has actually uh, has actually done so. We're about to find out. Right. Hence the term co-conspirator. Right. right? Uh, a term that I used, which right. I'm the only one that seemed to have gotten you know, charged with anything, despite the fact that as I explained to Judge William H. Pauley III, right, as well as Tom McKay and Nick Roots and Andrea Griswold and to the entire country that was watching at the time, right, what I did, I did at the direction of, for the benefit of, right, and in concert with, right, Donald J. Trump. But Somewhere along the line, he's going to turn around, especially with if this is the Calamari's that did it again. You know, Matt Calamari Jr. is the one that actually has control over the security systems that everything feeds into his server. I just would find it interesting if, in fact, that he did the same thing that I did. And to say, right, at the direction for the benefit of, um, you know, Donald J. Trump. And Donald turns around and says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Show me a single document, right? Right. Where, because he does it, he won't put it in a text and he doesn't have an email address, never has. So it does make that somewhat more difficult. It becomes testimony versus testimony. But then again, think about it from a logical standpoint. If I had you on as a juror and I said, what benefit would Matt Calamari Jr. or anybody for that matter, what, what benefit would they have by going in and altering this specific one minute, two minute, 18, 30 minute, whatever it is that's missing from that digital recording? What benefit would they have? The answer is they would have nothing. They would have no reason to even look for it. This came, again, at the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. And it was done so at his request. Now, would most jurors buy that? I think the answer is yeah. In fact, I think everybody would buy that. 
I mean, yeah. what would be the reason for you to do it? It's almost like, I mean, it's almost self-explanatory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the thing is that then you know and there's other things that we're we're still kind of like wondering about like okay well what was in the what was in that deleted footage uh we we there's reason to believe based on what we've heard that there's some of that footage is going to show possibly even Trump himself but certainly other members of his staff uh moving and going through the documents that had been subpoenaed that were classified government documents that needed to be returned because this whole, a lot of what this comes down to is the archives were on to the fact that these things were missing. They were requesting that they be returned. Uh, and then they were rehidden. They were moved. And there's reports that Trump himself actually went through some of the boxes to pull out documents and then move them to different locations within Mar-a-Lago including into his office, into his desk. So, you know, how much of that was on the footage? I, I think that's, you know, that's a huge question that we're going to find out soon, I think. Uh, but there's a lot of other pieces. Now we know about the pool thing, which I'm, I'm betting yeah, is I wanted to ask list. you about. I wanted yeah. to ask you about that. Right. Now, all of a sudden, yeah. we have an employee somehow draining the pool i mean with all due respect and again you know i i, I just uh, i have to point this out who the fuck drains a pool right on june 5th 6th and whatever right especially when the temperature has been so so beautiful the t the weather has been so beautiful right. why were they draining the pool was there a leak they? in the pool that needed to be you know um reset uh you certainly don't drain a pool in order to shock the water so that it's pH balanced no. for swimming, right? You just nope. put chlorine in it. So, yeah. you know, what was the reason that this guy was asked to drain the pool? And how is it that the draining of this pool ended up draining into the room that the server happens to be located? Just so and conveniently. It sure is. And I have never seen a scenario where people keep servers on the floor, especially right. not in a no, storage room, right? Why right. would you not have it up on, on a desk or, uh, or somewhere? I mean, that's usually where a server would go, some yeah. area that is not just sitting on the floor. What's your thoughts in regard to that? And more importantly, something that I don't think that they thought that information is not only just stored on the server, if I'm not mistaken, right? There is a service. They're not a self-contained server. No. Isn't this no. running through a company that, that houses it? Which means that that company probably has all the video as well. That, that sounds like, from news reports that we've gotten, it sounds like the DOJ subpoenaed the third-party vendor that handled the security footage uh and that is how doj knows that there was uh footage deleted from the files that were produced by the trump organization so yes so that's number one i think why were they i, I bet you that the that the feds were trying to get their hands on those servers because then it would it would provide even more evidence 
that the Trump people actually had like the original version before they doctored it. Uh, The Trump people were clearly, if if these reports were true, trying to destroy the evidence. So that's further evidence of obstruction. Uh, You know, okay, it's like, okay, A, why are they draining a pool? Period. B, why are they draining at that time of year? Uh, C, why is it draining such a, okay, you're draining it, you know, okay, why is it being drained into the room where the servers are? Doesn't that mean that somebody then opened up a valve or something in that room? Because not, you know, it's not like you drain a pool and it always gushes into some room. It goes into a pipe and goes down into the sewer. <laughs> you right? know what's going to be funny? Someone opened Tristan, up a thing to have it right? flow into that room. You know what's going to be funny? When they ultimately get their hands on the video footage of somebody going yeah. into that room, right? That too. And yeah, I hope then, there's footage you know, of that and too. Then, right. Then setting this up for the flood. And then you see them <laughs> leaving, right, yeah. the room and locking it back up. Yeah. I mean, that I think is yeah. going to be quite interesting. And then again, it just goes to show that, again, assuming that this is accurate, I want to yeah. just be fair about that, but it will show the conspiracy. Once again, though, the question will be, how will Donald Trump push whoever that individual or individuals are under the bus? I never told them to do it. I have nothing to do. I don't know how to drain a pool. This shit, the fucking jerk off doesn't even know how to swim. He may be able to float, but he certainly doesn't know how to swim. So I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it, Tristan. Tristan, everybody's wanted to come at me because I'm the front runner. Because I'm the, right. I'm the, I'm going to be the next president again, and so they're making this stuff up. It had nothing to do with me, right? So everybody out there is out there to get poor, poor old Donald, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. So look, you know, we can talk about the draining of a pool. How about the draining of the swamp with all of his fucking swamp rats, right? And then he goes out onto yeah. these rallies, starts talking about. It. But the breaking news yesterday was all about Mark Meadows' testimony before the grand jury in that special counsel Trump investigation. And from all reporting, whether it's Fox, CNN, right, uh, MSNBC, all of them, it's just gotten worse. Now, ABC News has been reporting that sources say, and I quote, Meadows answered questions on both Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election and Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents. Now, it cannot be ignored that Meadows is a key figure in both of these investigations. And this should absolutely not just terrify Trump, But this is probably pissing him the fuck off, which is why everything since Meadows went in has all been in caps. I'm curious what you think that Meadows can offer up. And do you think that he would flip, especially to save his own ass? So, yeah, Mark Meadows is definitely going to be a key figure in all of this. He factors into the Mar-a-Lago piece because he was there at the end now, how did these documents get to Mar-a-Lago in the first place? They never should have been down there to begin with. Uh, choosing which documents were going to be trucked down to Florida was something that was going on right before January 20th, 2021, when Trump left the White House and Joe Biden was inaugurated. Uh, Mark Meadows was there. 
for that piece of it. So presumably that's why Meadows is being questioned about the Mar-a-Lago documents um, because he was actually part of that process in the days leading up to Jan 20. Uh, the J6 thing, so that's bad enough because, you know, as we've been talking, the Mar-a-Lago case is looking very good. If Meadows ends up providing additional testimony regarding uh, the selection of those documents and the fact that and to, to, to bring to bring this back to your points on conspiracy um, and, and for the benefit of everybody listening, you know, the way conspiracy works is it's a very great crime to charge as a, as a prosecutor, because once you have established that there was a group of people that were trying to achieve some objective and then the kingpin might sort of like bow out and not have as much of a day-to-day role overseeing it or at least try to keep his fingerprints off of it literally or figuratively but the kicker is that if you can establish some role that the kingpin had with the other co-conspirators and there was at least one action taken beyond just talking called in law an overt act that once you've got that once you have established that everybody was talking and once you've established that there was an overt act even if it was the underlings who went and did those acts, everybody in the conspiracy, including the kingpin, can get charged with conspiracy to do X. So if we can establish that Meadows was talking to Trump about these documents and about the fact that these were going to get shipped down to Florida, even if a lot of the like Trump didn't carry the Trump didn't carry the boxes, he didn't maybe fill the boxes, he didn't put them on the truck, he didn't take them off the truck, you know. He may have actually been rifling through them once he was down at Mar-a-Lago. He didn't empty the pool, blah, blah, blah. But other people did. But as long as we can establish that there was communication with those underlings and him, whether that was Meadows or Calamari or somebody, then they can get Trump for a lot of this stuff. Uh, But back to Meadows, uh, you know, he probably has he probably has knowledge regarding the final days of the Trump presidency and the selection and movement of those documents. Number two, then there's Jan 6, and that's a whole other thing. He was very heavily involved with all of that, according to all these news reports, the texts that have been made public. Every step of the way from Election Day to Jan 6 and after, Meadows was a pivotal figure around all of that. Uh, And it may be that he really can be the link that establishes Trump's knowledge regarding everything that was occurring by all of these other people, whether it was your proud boy folks, the, the ones actually going and, and, uh, and attacking cap- the Capitol and assaulting police officers and destroying property and disrupting constitutional processes and threatening to kill members of Congress and threatening to hang Matt, Mike Pence and almost succeeding, uh, or whether it was the attempts to weaponize DOJ and corrupt it and get it to say that the election was stolen or the fake electors, or the things going on in Georgia, any of that. Meadows probably has knowledge regarding all of that. And then the really big question is, yeah, does he save himself? Or uh, the very fact that he went to testify in front of the grand jury, that he did not have to get forced to do so, does suggest that he is at least giving something to them. And then the question really comes down to how much. And if I'm going to just speculate a little bit here, Michael, as you know, it's not like, and this is, again, for the benefit of everybody, Meadows is, it's not like Meadows goes way back with Trump. Not even close. Meadows is not like a lifer Trump guy. We're not talking about 
you know, look, a lot no, of the Meadows became sig- Meadows became significant in around 2018. Yeah, I mean, he, he was never a, a fan of a, Donald's before that. Then he became no. super fan. Yeah. Then, yeah. And then and then he angled to get that chief of staff job in the late part of the Trump administration. It was his what was his fourth chief of staff? Like, yeah. you know, basically Meadows was there for 2020 and, and, the, and then and then the January of 21. It's not like he goes way, way back where the loyalty just runs so deep that his identity has been like subsumed. We're not talking about Alan Weisselberg here, where like we had so much speculation about uh, what Weisselberg would say or not say. Weisselberg's still been covering for Trump to some degree. Uh, We're not talking about that. We're not talking about somebody who's worked for Trump for 30 years or longer. This is somebody who has been a political opportunist who saw which way the wind was blowing within the Republican Party and glommed on to to Trump's inner circle. Uh, I don't believe that somebody like that is going to take a bullet for Trump. I just don't. So my personal bet would be that Meadows is going to save himself. Meadows right now is looking at a very, very significant time in prison for his role in in all of this. Do is, you he remember? Gonna, is he going to do that? I don't know. I don't believe it. I don't believe he's going to do it. I think he's going to try it. I think he's cutting a deal. Yeah, I think he's cutting too. a deal and, to save himself. And I'll tell you, you may remember when I said to Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows at that House Oversight Committee hearing yep. before, God rest his soul, Elijah Cummings, I said, I know what you're doing. And look what's happened to right. me. Right? right. You Trust me. This can happen to you. So, yeah. Mark, you know, I couldn't be happier that my prediction is coming true, and I do hope that he does that he does what you're recommending, Tristan, yeah. and that he provides the information in order to ensure that he doesn't. Because I promise you, whether you end up with an Otisville satellite camp like I did, or you end up at the yeah. Supermax in Arizona, it fucking sucks. Let me be real clear. All right. I also want yeah. to just ask because you brought up those uh, twenty members of like Trump's Secret Service uh, security yeah. detail and so yeah. on. I mean, all of these guys have been subpoenaed as well. Um, you know, to appear before the special counsel's uh, Washington grand uh, jury uh, over the course of the last few months. I mean, what do you think that they wanted with these with these folks? I mean, what do you think they want with Secret Service? Um, can they provide any additional corroborating information? I mean, they are around him as a detail 24-7. Yep. Yeah, I think they can. I think that this has probably been a treasure trove of corroborating evidence for, for, uh, for DOJ. Uh, you know, you're talking about, yeah, you've got the people that are around him all day, every day. And then they're obviously guarding Mar-a-Lago. Uh, which is, by the way, just as a side note, this has cost the American people so much more money than any other former president has ever had to uh, cost for their Secret Service detail, because Trump lives in a goddamn hotel and resort. There's tons of ways into and out of this place. Members of the public are coming in for state dinners and stuff. There's hundreds of members of this club. Uh, It's the security problems that that presents are just way higher than if he lived in a normal private residence. And you've got the same problem with Bedminster, which is the other place he mainly spends his time. If he were spending his time in his, uh, in his, in his apartment at Trump tower, 
there's a lot fewer ways into and out of that building and up on his floor it'd be way easier to protect and defend or if he lived in just a regular house uh like most ex-presidents do uh so that's costing american taxpayers millions and millions of extra dollars every year but let's let's forget about that for now it does matter though to point that out because the detail is very big because it's got to be because you're basically you, there's got to be folks that are kind of manning Mar-a-Lago that are not his group. There's a group that's going to protect him, that's going to follow him around. And then there's a group that has to basically make sure that Mar-a-Lago is manned during the times that Trump is there uh, to, to basically man the building. OK, so they do know among all of them who's going where, when they know what every room in that Literally, they know what every single room in that complex is for. They know what they all are. They know what's in them. They've had to because it's that that's part of their job. They need because they need to know they need to sweep it every day. Has somebody planted a bomb? So they need to know. They not only know what what they know, they know every room in that place. They know every closet in that place. They know every object in that place, because if something has been moved, that's something that raises a flag for a security person. They've got to go check it. Oh, that box is in a different place. I've got to go see what's in that box. Oh, that's a that ooh, what that duffel bag looks suspicious, right? They're looking for things every day. So they have to know all of this stuff. So if you take the group of them and put them in front of a grand jury, they're going to know collectively in, in a lot of them individually for like what part of the complex were they in charge of guarding and sweeping every day. They know everything that happened in that building, everything. So. Could or are they going to know what box was moved where when, who was in what room on what day? Was there some big day where a bunch of boxes were getting moved around? We know that some boxes were then put into an SUV and driven up to Bedminster. What happened that day? What happened when the pool thing happened? It probably was Secret Service people who tipped them off that the pool thing was a thing. So the eyes and ears of that place were literally their job was to know everything that was happening in that building and and make sure that anything that was different was like something they needed to check on. I mean, it's just like you got the security cam footage. These guys were really like the other piece to that puzzle. If you have those two things together. You literally know what was going on in that place 24-7. Tristan, let's go back to Jack Smith for a second because I'm, cur I'm curious what you make of Jack Smith. I mean, his temperament, his ability. Had he been the special prosecutor instead of Mueller, do you think that we would have had a different outcome of that? And more importantly, how afraid of Trump do you think he is of this guy? That's a great question, both of those. So, okay, so one, or maybe it's, it's really three. So my take on Smith so far, we don't know much about him. But, you know, I've obviously read up on his on his background and his experience. You know, he look, this guy has taken down war criminals at The Hague. You know, he took down, you know, he did he did a lot of major crimes work here in the U.S. Um, you know, he's no stranger to big cases against public figures, big cases where the stakes are high. And you can't get it wrong because it's in the press. Um, that's who you need. Uh, Bob Mueller. I have a lot of respect for Bob Mueller. Uh, Bob Mueller was a prosecutor. Bob Mueller was, uh, was the director of the FBI. Uh, Bob Mueller was, uh, in private practice, uh, 
that the same law, uh, one of the same law firms I used to work at, Wilmer Hale, a very well respected guy. But was he really like the guy to run a case like that? I don't know. You know, I think that he had maybe been too senior for too long. Obviously, he had a lot of other people working for him. So I, I don't really know. But like, I think that the, the difference with Jack Smith is that is that Smith has actually never been like the guy that's so far above that he's not the guy really running it anymore. I mean, like, you know, Garland's experience where he really did run major cases, Unabomber case, the Oklahoma City bombing, but that was a long time ago. You know, I think having Smith there as the guy to run point on this from a day-to-day basis was a really smart move um, because he really actually still knows the, the like how to really get a case like this done and not from memory from 30 years ago. So I think that's really good. Um, now, is, uh, is, is Smith afraid of Trump? I don't think so. Like, not at all. I don't think that, you know, he, he, he helped take down Slobodan Milosevic. You know, I don't think he cares about Donald Trump. I, don't, I, I think he's, he's been there, done that. Are you a little bit nervous if you're him? Oh, God, yes. This is the most important case of your career. It's one of the most important prosecutions. He's handling both J6 and Mar-a-Lago, mind you. These are the most important uh, prosecutions in American history. Um, of course, he's, he's going to be nervous, but is he scared of Trump per se? I say no. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you, you know, because you brought up before a couple minutes ago, oh, you know, they have a treasure trove of information that they've obtained, whether it's from the 20 members of Trump's, you know, Secret Service. They have the uh, company that has the digital uh, recordings. They have Calamari before them. They've got 100 other people that have provided testimony. And yet there's still no indictment. Now, I respect, you know, I respect the fact that you're you're a former prosecutor, you know, and very, very, you know, significant career yourself. You know, prosecutors are always complimentary of other prosecutors. My feeling is I think Merrick Garland. Yeah, I mean, I think Merrick Garland is absolutely worthless. I really do. I'm not saying he's a bad man. And people get angry at me. Oh, you know, you shit on Merrick Garland all the time. Merrick Garland is a decent man. That's not the right person or temperament for an attorney general when you are trying to deal with Donald Trump. Because I promise you, the way the Southern District of New York, this scumbag, Tom McKay, this this Andrea Griswold, this Nick Roos, this scumbag judge, Judge Pauly, all of them, they didn't treat me with any kid gloves. All right. I can tell you I can tell you that I don't have respect for the prosecutors. My feeling is if you commit a crime, especially one that's so blatant and they shove it right in somebody's face. Oh, yeah, he did the Unabomber. Let me tell you something. A five year old could charge the Unabomber. The guy has. Here's the receipt that he bought. Here's the receipt. He bought the shit. Here's the stuff. Here's the video camera that shows him walking in. Here's the thing. I'm lighting the fucking fuse and running away. Yeah. Okay. Seems pretty likely you're going to get a conviction. Now, I don't take away because when I had done trials, trials are very stressful. Look, I got a trial coming up against Trump uh, in you know the end of July, even though I know I'm going to win. And as the plaintiff, right, it's still stressful anytime that you do or you're on trial. I say that he's nervous, but not nervous of Donald Trump per se. I say Jack Smith, as well as Merrick Garland and others, it's either they're worried about future reputation 
or they're more worried that one of these 28, 30% of these maggot nut jobs will come after them. And people don't want to live yeah. like that. I know I hate it. When I walk around on the street, I know I'm always looking over my shoulder, right? But could you imagine if now Jack Smith is the one who actually brings him down? Or as I'd like to say, right, time and time again, it's looked like Trump has been cornered like a fucking rat, like the dirtbag that he is, that he's cornered, right? Down for the count. Oh, we got him. We got him. Every day you turn on the television and you see another thing that's coming out that if it was you, me, or anybody else, we would already be on the mat. But simply, like in the words of Clubber Lang and Rocky, dead meat. <laughs> but that's not what happens, right? You think that this evidence in the case against Trump with Jack Smith any one of them, January 6th, I think is going to be an impossible case to try. I think it's an impossible, I think it's a five-year trial, really, based on the number of witnesses that you have, based upon the documentation. I say it would take them six months just to beta stamp all the evidence that they want to use, right? Is, you think that this is enough to finally put an end to Trump? So like, I under, look, I, I, I like to joke with people that the quickest way to divide my audience and, and yours, our audiences overlap a good bit, is to is to take a strong position about Merrick Garland because it'll instantly get everybody that otherwise agrees on, you know, accountability and justice here. Or it'll get everybody fighting because there's definitely a pro Garland camp and an anti Garland camp. You know, I was mildly anti Garland for a long time. And now I say I'm fairly solidly uh, more favorably inclined toward Garland. I still don't I still worry that they're going to chicken out on some things. I do. I'm not 100 percent like pro Garland. Uh, but I do believe that I do believe that they've got what it takes to get it to the finish line. I don't think they're I, I, I feel more likely than not they're, they're going to take it all the way uh, in terms of these cases. I think the Mar-a-Lago case, based on what we know right now, is looking way stronger based on what we've learned in the in the news in the last month or so, uh, two months. And, you know, and we're getting more and more every every couple of days now. I think that it's looking way better. Uh, I really think that they've got enough to convict on those. And I think they're going to do it. Um, J6, you're right. It's a way bigger case. And there's a lot of moving parts. And establishing Trump's knowledge and intent uh, as part of a look, I think the, the saving grace on J6 is going to be conspiracy. The conspiracy statute is going to have to do the heavy lifting there because I think it's going to be tough to say that Trump like directed all of those things that happened. However, once he set the conspiracy in motion, uh, then he becomes he's on the hook for everything the conspiracy did. And it did a lot. So even if the person who actually gave specific orders was, you know, uh, somebody like Rudy, Trump's going to still be on the hook. I think that's the theory that they're working on with J6. But it is. It's a much bigger case. We don't know as much about it yet. I think they've still got a ways to go before they're done with that. But the fact that they got Meadows to come sit down with the grand jury, they're running out of people in, at the top of the pyramid to bring in. Uh, I think the bombshell that we're about to see on J6 is going to be that they subpoena 
uh, and for the grand I jury. Keep saying, bring Tristan, Tristan, I'm so sorry. I don't mean Jr. to. No, yeah, man. fuck that. Fuck that. You know, fuck you, that. I, know, I know you don't want to see yeah, it. Look, you don't look, want to see it. Let me let me I, say let me Michael, say this. Let, let me let me say something here. I think you're my, yeah. my, I think you're going to get your wish in Mar-a-Lago. I think that's yes, coming. I think it's that's coming That's the soon. point. Okay, I think you're, you're going to get your wish. Yes, let them sit there and why waste the time right now on January 6th? You got from the state side two tracks. They're going to do it on two tracks. You've got two grand juries in DC. The Mar-a-Lago one's ready to indict. The J6 one, stay tuned. Good. So you'll have a federal indictment. You'll have a state indictment in New York. Yeah. Very soon, you're going to have another state indictment Georgia. with Georgia. And so, Georgia's and enough. Because, look, look. And it's not like the GOP is any better, right? In terms of if Donald is out, who do you got next, right? You got, you know, you got Chris Christie now just jumped in. Two years ago, he was still the Trump apologist. But now you also yeah. have, right, on the top second to Trump, is creepy Ron DeSnotnose, right? Who basically said, you know, you said, actually, and I agree with you, he's a fucking fascist, or worse. You know, and I think, and I'm going to quote yeah. this, he's the type of person, this is something you wrote, he's yep. the type of person Winston Churchill warned us about and spent his life fighting. So yeah. if you do me a favor, tell me how you really feel about this guy, because I find him to be a fucking creepster across the board. And it's the shit that comes out of his mouth and yeah. other members of the GOP that caused that big attack on the LGBTQ community uh, the other day yeah. in California. Shame yeah. on him, all right? Yeah. Seriously, shame on him for that shit. Because we all thought that, that DeSantis was smarter, right? More capable and less flawed version of Donald. But in fact, he's really no. not. He's just no. a worse retail political scumbag. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think that the here's the thing is that DeSantis has been trying to actually outflank Trump to his right by going yeah, further luck. than Trump, you know, and that's really scary to even go even more ultra MAGA. Like that's really what's been. And it's been this entire performative act that he's been conducting and getting doubling down on doubling down on doubling down on over the last couple of years. But I, I and I think that it's just the 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 shredding of civil liberties in Florida, the attacks on the press, the uh, the attacks on the the book banning, uh, the attacks on the LB, LGBTQ community have been horrendous. Uh, the attacks on immigrants have been horrendous. Uh, there's 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 so much bad stuff that's going on here. But what I will say, just in kind of a lot of my my thinking on him though, is the good news is that he is an absolutely terrible politician compared to he's doing all of this stuff and staking out these far right policy positions but he can't he's been running for president from behind his desk in Tallahassee for the last couple of years by getting by staking out these claims to the executive order or getting things passed with the legislature in 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 Florida now he actually has to go out on the campaign trail he's got to go to diners in New Hampshire and Iowa and South Carolina, he's going to have to get on debate stages soon. He is terrible at all of that stuff. But my favorite bit is when this was the couple. This was a week ago or so. He went into a diner in New Hampshire, and some local Republican official, you know, wants to shake his hand and introduce himself, say, "I am so and so." And DeSantis's response is, "Okay, 
That's what he said. Not no nope. to meet you. No, no, tr- no, Tristan. No, hold on. The real funnier part was I think it was yeah. during that same diner e- um, yeah. event. He sneezed into his hand, and when the guy congratulated yeah. him, he yeah, wiped his fucking snot too. on the he back of the too. guy's sport jacket. He did that too. He's just. I'm gonna. Let's just be clear. He's a weird person. He's an awkward, weird person. And I just don't think that's going to work very well. And then I think when you get Trump and him on the debate stage together, Trump's going to wipe the floor with him. It's going to be a bloodbath. So, yeah. well, not not so, when you have somebody like Chris Christie who's over there as well. If he can get some traction, look, I know Chris Christie. I bumped into him a few yeah. a few months back. I yeah. happen to know him via through Trump. You know, yeah. he's a New Jersey bovan. I mean, this guy knows how to fight down Trump, and dirty, and Christie he doesn't expect back. to win. Yeah, no. he doesn't expect Christie to win, so he's back. willing. Yeah, he's willing to say yeah. shit in order to change his own image. So I'm looking yeah. forward to see, you know, seeing I think that. It's good. But look, yeah, I think yeah. it's good. Yeah, Christie will actually punch back. The rest of the people on that stage are are. DeSantis is going to try to punch back and fail miserably at it. Trump's going to gut him like a fish. The rest yeah. of them there are really running to build their own brands or to be VP. Uh, Christie is there to to rebuild his image. But I also think he'll he'll actually throw some haymakers. So I think that'll make the Republican uh, the Republican debates a lot more entertaining. Oh, how I wish that I could be on a debate stage with Trump. Oh, you love it. Just once. Let me tell you, I think the world would love it. So, look, the hour goes by very quickly here on Maya Culpa, believe it or not. And one of the last thing I want to bring up to you is, you know, there's there's a real big problem with the GOP. Right. In terms of. They, they all seem to have sugar daddies, right? George Santos now, $500,000 in bail. He's going to have to reveal who posted the bail for him, right? You have um, Clarence Thomas, $150,000 tuition, $686,589 in his wife's salary. The money that was paid for his uh, mom's house, you have... Uh, was it like fifteen yep. million dollars plus in travel that we they claim shit that like that? Brett Kavanaugh, yeah. our Supreme Court judge, Brett Kavanaugh. There's some ninety-two thousand dollar country club balance was paid for him. Then you have uh, plus two hundred thousand in credit card debt, as well as a one point two million dollar mortgage. Me, I'm asking people to help me to fund my lawsuit uh, that Trump right. is suing me for five hundred million dollars, and I'm having a hard time. These guys have money. Popping up from all of these sugar daddies. What the fuck is going on here? And how do we deal with this? Because I I think this is a big deal. It's a huge deal. What we're going to need to do with a lot of this stuff. A, look, a lot of this is there is is thankfully been a lot of hard work done by journalists and lawyers to try to get the truth out. Uh, You know, it's been a group of different uh, publications and their lawyers have been pushing to find out who paid Santos's bail. And that effort has now started to really, like, you know, get somewhere uh, where either we're going to find out the truth or Santos is going to be so afraid of outing these secret donors of his that he's going to be willing to turn himself in and not have bail. He's going to actually go into uh, go to jail for, for pretrial detention uh, pending trial. Um what we need, bigger picture, very much, and especially when you start talking about the Supreme Court, we need a binding ethics code 
uh, on the Supreme Court with teeth, with consequences. We need uh-huh. hearings on the Hill right now because the notion that we can't do something about this is, is garbage. We need, you know, where I've been, I'm willing to, to say that, like, I think some of this prosecution stuff has been taking time, so forth and so on. I'm a lot less willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the folks in the Senate Judiciary Committee for not doing much, much more to actually have some transparency and some accountability for the court. Because the notion that somehow these nine folks are completely above the law is incredibly dangerous. You know, it turns them into sort of an unelected super legislature that's untouchable. You know, they just become this cabal that runs the country. You can't have that. You just can't. It's not democratic. It is not what the framers of the Constitution intended. It doesn't work that way. The Congress does have a check and balance on the Supreme Court. They fund it. They can turn off the electricity, not pay their salaries, and they all go home. You think all those folks want to work for free? Congress controls the purse strings. They can cut off the fundings of the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court like that. They have the ability to say, you need to, just like any other federal agency, you need to show up. We have oversight ability because we pay your bills. You come, you sit in that chair, you stand, you sit there under oath, and you answer my questions. That is what needs to happen. And we're not seeing it from the Senate, and it needs to happen. And until we do, we're not going to get real accountability. And then we need to pass more laws with teeth that actually Mm -hmm. say for all of these things, you have to, these disclosures have to be there. And if they're not there, there are consequences. You will get impeached. You will lose your job. You will, et cetera, you'll be suspended or whatever. There's got to be consequences for when you break these uh, rules. So we need more rules and we need people that are going to enforce them. Well, totally agree. Tristan Snell, thank you so much, my friend. Always good to see you. Always good to get your point of view on this. There's just so much that's going on. (laughs) We'll have you back very, very soon because more explanation is going to be needed. I, I think so. Thanks, Michael, and thanks to everybody listening. I'll see you soon, pal. Take care. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about Mark Meadows' current predicament, I can't help but wonder what he thought would happen when he first attached himself to Trump like a fucking rotten barnacle on the ass of a decaying whale. He must have seen the pileup of regret and broken lives that Trump left in his wake. For God's sakes, I warned this fucking idiot when I was testifying before the House Oversight Committee, before the Honorable and God rest his soul, Elijah Cummings, when I said directly to Meadows, I know what you're doing, and it didn't work out well for me, and I assure you, it won't work out well for you. So once again, I was right. The fact of the matter is that Trump is the darkness, and whoever gets close to him withers and dies. I mean, not literally, I'm still standing, but the fact of the matter is that he destroys everything in his wake. I can't name a single person close to Donald Trump who did not wind up in trouble or in prison, or worse, I mean myself included. So here's the point, everything Donald Trump touches is fucking poisoned. Yet somehow, Donald never feels the sting. I mean, Mark Meadows is just the latest casualty in a long line of ambitious men and women who thought that they could hitch their wagon to Donald and reap the rewards of power and money. I mean, Meadows should have known that it doesn't work that way. That Trump helps Trump. I mean, let me say it again. Trump helps only Trump. Everyone else is expendable, including his family. 
I know what Mark Meadows is thinking right now. How could I have been so stupid? Why was I so stupid? Why did I flush my own fucking life and reputation down the fucking toilet for this man? Well, the answer is, he made a Faustian bargain, trading his moral compass and future for what he deemed to be proximity to power. He thought that he could control the beast. But Trump always turns on you in the end. There is no happy ending. Well, not unless you're Donald, that's for sure, with Stormy. I mean, all that you end up with is wasted years and a lot of lost money. And the only hope is that Mark Meadows will fucking wake up and realize that Trump used him just like he uses everyone. So it's time to do the right thing, Mark. Your political life is over. You're probably gonna be in serious trouble and may even do some prison time. The important thing is that you redeem yourself and redeem yourself by helping Jack Smith, the country, and the DOJ put this man behind bars. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my